This is Women in a Day, a podcast created to give a deep look at the daily lives of women of all kinds, from sunrise to sunset, with Jenny Hauser and Portia Hensley. Welcome to episode 21 of the Women in a Day podcast. Before we get started with today's guest, we want to say a huge thank you to Sam Oliver, our guest in episode 20. If you haven't heard that episode, please go listen. It was so interesting to hear not only about the effects of a government shutdown, but also to learn about the work of hydrologists and the USGS. Definitely. And today joining us, we have Dr. Lisa Templeton. Lisa Templeton, PhD, is a clinical psychologist, an author, musician, poet, and a spiritual teacher. She recently self-published her book, Letting It Be Mindful Lessons Toward Acceptance, a guide to promote acceptance of life's difficulties, as well as knowledge of self with an emphasis on compassion, love, spirituality, and mindful awareness. She founded and owns the Interpersonal Healing Center in Broomfield, providing compassionate care to all ages and backgrounds, while also addressing the importance of our relationships with each other and with ourselves. She enjoys speaking at various events, has been an adjunct professor at several universities, including Naropa, and currently teaches classes on acceptance and mindfulness at the Interpersonal Healing Center. Welcome, Dr. Lisa. Thank you. Hi, Thanks Lisa. for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. It's an honor. So tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. What's the work that you do? I know that's a really broad place to start. Very but. broad. Um, <laughs> I mean, what I do is, as a psychologist is everyone that I meet, I meet them where they're at. Being in the present moment is all about the healing, in my opinion. So interpersonal healing is what we all need, especially with all the technology, the issues with you know people looking at their phones all the time. We are not relating with each other in the same way that we used to. Mm-hmm. And so I think there needs to be a lot of healing with that. It's nice to come in, talk with someone who's there, totally present, um, not thinking ahead, not thinking you know, about the past. That is probably the foundation of what I do um, in my entire life, just professionally, personally. And that brings, I, I think, a very healing energy to uh, every moment. So you know, I start there. Yeah. Um, as a psychologist, I do a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, um, which I equate very much with mindfulness. Mindfulness, you know, John Kabat-Zinn defined mindfulness as being in the moment, present in the moment, on purpose, without judgment. And I think that last part is the hardest for all I was going to say, <laughs> I knew yeah. there had to be a caveat in there. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I I really love the mindfulness piece with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy because the basic premise of that kind of therapy is that our thoughts, our feelings, and our behaviors are all interconnected. And so the trouble is, I think, that we are all so caught up in such a fast-paced society that we don't take a moment to really stop and think about what we're thinking about. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of thoughts just float by and, you know, a lot of fake news in there, really. Yeah. Um, so um, we need to be able to learn how to slow down and notice a little bit more of what's going on in our mind, what's going on in our body, 
um, and not so much about external. I mean, it's so easy. I find myself getting caught up in it all the time. You know, it's like, right. oh, what's the news feed? What's the new? Is everything okay? Da, 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 da. It, it's so easy to look external. Um, it's a little bit harder to be internal and to balance the two in the moment is, I think, a, an extra special um, healing element. Definitely. Can you explain how mindfulness can contribute to healing? Yes. Uh, well, I think, you know, based on, you know, being present in the moment, I can be present in the moment and I can notice that I'm judging. And if I notice that I'm judging and then I judge myself for judging, then mm -hmm. I'm already layering up on myself in right. such a way. And so to be able to work on that judgment piece and understand that it's a part of being human, I think the that we judge ourselves so much, you know, it might be anger. You know, people are judging themselves, feeling, gosh, you know, I'm feeling angry. Why am I feeling angry about this? Gosh, uh, you know, and then mad at themselves for how they're feeling or what, what they're experiencing. Oh, my knee is hurting. Why is this so bothering me so much? Like, oh, I don't have time for this. You know, that kind of an attitude. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think what mindfulness can do around healing is, you know, shift our attitude and shift our perspective to an understanding of the complexity that we are as human beings. We are, you know, our brains, our bodies, we have not scratched the surface of what is really going on within ourselves. Um, and science is, you know, working toward that. Um, so, we, you know, we're and we're going to continue to explore because it's all very experiential. We're all kind of dropped in in this body and we can only articulate and find the words to try to find our similarities. Um, but we're all human. And right. so the, the moment I think we're able to do that and then I move into curiosity um, and I'm not judging. I'm like, oh, that's weird. I'm feeling angry. Or why was I feeling angry? You know, oh, God, that guy, you know, cut me off. Well, maybe he's on the way to the hospital. I don't know what's going on. Take a breath. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how am I feeling inside? And then being able to uh, move forward into the next moment uh, without that judgment. I just feel like that really bogs us down. And, you know, if, if anything, causes more stress and resistance um, than anything. Um, and with that resistance, you know, cause disease and illness and Definitely. Yeah. So if you have a new patient that's coming to you that's tried other kinds of therapy mm. and has not found a great fit, how do you describe a session with you? How is it different than what someone might have had in the past? Um, well, it depends on what they've had. And it might, it's, I would see it different because I bring my whole being to each person that I sit with, even sitting with you guys. So being able to sit with someone and just explain, because I've, I've talked to a lot of people who have sat with therapists or you know psychologists, and the therapist doesn't say anything. They just talk the whole time, and the therapist nods, and then they're like, okay, well, meet next week, and that's it. Where it feels more like an evaluation yeah, almost. Yeah, and, and then, I mean, gosh, in terms of triggering the judgment, that's that's one that'll do it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I would say for when someone sits down with me, it's interactive. Uh, I'm going to talk with them about their lives. I, I'm going to assess in, you know, not so assessy kinds of ways because they're a right. person and I'm a person, and um, just doing the best that I can to take care of them, hold their heart, because it takes so much courage 
to reach out and to do such a thing and to talk about your life and uh, there's a lot of shame and you know, there can be just mental health has not been you know revered you know well mental health is revered mental illness is not revered um, mm-hmm. and we all are you know there's no one that is immune to having some sort of mental illness again it's part of being human it seems like that first step is just to have that validation mm-hmm. that it's okay. You're okay. Yeah. And then yeah. you can be empowered to change this for yourself. Yeah. And I think that's another difference um, when someone sits down with me is I am not going to cure them. I'm not going to fix them. I, that's not, I, no one can do that except for yourself. And so I can help them see a different perspective. I can help them have some tools to practice that will help them you know, recover and empower themselves. You know, I mean, I see depression a lot. I see a lot of people with depression and anxiety. Depression is like pressing the self down um, with judgment. And so what I find is that people who are very depressed and, you know, and it's chemical as well as, because I change my thoughts, I change the neurochemistry of my brain. It's fascinating how it's all connected. We are all interconnected here. So... Along with that, do you give patients guidelines for how to manage technology, social media? Do you talk about that? A, a little bit. Breaks. I, I mean, that's my, that's, uh, take breaks. That's my, I mean, I'm going to practice what I preach every time. And so I need to take breaks. I know that I need to take breaks. And of course, you know, the, the counter argument I get is like, well, I won't know what's going on. And I have to know what's going on if I don't know what's going on. And it's like, you'll know what's going on take a break you don't have to go straight to your phone in the morning or you know uh you know right when i sit down sometimes i'll sit down and i'll be eating i was like oh, my phone you know and then i'm like hold on just just wait a, a little bit yeah and you know take a breath and enjoy a bite and not have to focus external again it's that internal versus external focus and it's like a pendulum i, I see it as like a, a moving pendulum and if it's not moving or if it gets stuck in in one place even internal you know some people just go internal they get isolating and they're in their bedroom and they're just in their head the whole time um you know there needs to be balance with that sounds like a lot of the therapy that you do requires a a pretty deep level of self-awareness maybe being aware of funny i don't I, i to a certain degree yes there are certain people that are not interested they don't they want to come in they want to just talk unload unload yeah Yeah. Um, I am not that kind of therapist I'm very active and so you know you know anyone who really wants to change then I'm I'm the person for them if they're kind of like I don't know and, and of course change is scary so a lot of people don't really know what it would be like to not be depressed or not be anxious and so it's a process uh, and I'm and I will walk them through that if they're willing and open, um, but it's not an easy thing. What if they're not self-aware? What do you do to kind of bring that? Because the mindfulness piece is being aware of how you're feeling, what you're thinking, without judgment. Right. And if you don't have that self-awareness, how do you do you mirror for people, or how do you get them to? Yeah. Be- well, like I said in the beginning, you know, I meet people where they're at. And so if someone's not self-aware or not able to, like, I don't know what I'm thinking. I just don't know. It's like, okay, well, you know, tell me about, you know, what's going on in your life. You know, I will be, you know, listening and talking with them about 
um, ways that they may be able to just shift their perspective just slightly, just reframing things just a little bit differently based on evidence, not just, you know, frou-frou, you know, positive, like, we'll just stay really positive and say all positive things. You know, it's like, what is the true evidence of the situation? And so, you know, I try to use truth and, you know, again, you know, weeding out the fake news because I think a lot of people, there's some people I've, I've worked with for two or three years, the first year, they had no self-awareness and, you know, it was really all about circumstances in their life and we would talk and, you know, move through that. And then, you know, I would kind of, you know, ease it in. It, it's a seed that grows. And I don't believe that people are, that self-awareness is a fixed attribute. You know, really? You're like, well, yeah. you know, this is your self-awareness and That's we'll an work excellent with it. point. I think yeah. we all have our blind spots. Yeah. And then we continue, that grows yeah. and with guidance and somebody to support you know, that intention of like, God, I want to know. I, I'm having a hard time listening to my thoughts. I have no idea what's going on in there. It's scary. It's a scary, dark place for some people. So just being able to guide them and just water the seed. And then, you know, it does sprout. I've seen it. And really? it's amazing. It's it's very, I'm, I'm honored to be able to witness those kinds of things with people over the course of the years. I mean, I just... My heart goes out to them. I love them so much. That's wonderful. <laughs> this makes total sense to me. And I know you said that the scientific evidence is growing, that this mm. is definitely something that we should be um, looking into more. Are there a lot of people who are doing the kind of work that you do? How does someone find a therapist who has an emphasis on mindfulness? Mm. Yeah, there are a lot of people that are doing mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy these days. And it's... I think it's growing. I mean, the term mindfulness, you know, when I was studying psychology, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, there there was not real much discussion about that. I was very interested in it. I was yeah. always interested in Eastern psychology okay. and, you know, Buddhism and just trying to understand and, and relate it to psychology in some way. Since then, it's, it's grown exponentially. So... Um, yeah, if you're looking for someone who's doing mindfulness, you could go to Psychology Today there and type in mindfulness. It'll it'll come up. People are putting that as their you know bios and such. Yeah, you also have some other tools in your tool belt. Um, you use music, yes. art. What else do you do? Um, well, I am I am an artist. I'm a musician. I just absolutely love the arts, and I think it's important to use our full brain. So. You know, it's it's not often, you know, I'm not going to, you know, whip out, you know, a bunch of art and <laughs> musical instruments if you come in to see me. It's going to be first talking about what I was just saying. It's not full are, sensory overload right, the first no, appointment. Gosh, no. <laughs> but there are some people who are, you know, musicians or poets or artists, and um, I really encourage them to bring in their work and to share. And because some people, you know, they do this work and, and it's all just between them and them they don't share it with anyone oh, and again back to that interactive piece and the connection that we all have to each other it's hard to connect sometimes especially back to what I was saying around technology it's it's hard it's getting harder and harder I think for people to connect especially the younger generations yeah um, I mean they prefer to text than to it's so surface what mm -hmm. they're getting and yeah it's yeah. changed everything it really has our it's, brains are it's the exact opposite of what you're doing it's mindless connection oh, yeah yeah you know, 
and it's hard to be seen in that. Yeah. And I think people need to be seen. I know I do at yeah. times. And, you know, everyone does it to be acknowledged, to be understood. And, you know, when I'm creating something through art or writing or music, it feels great to be acknowledged or to have that inspire someone else. And we inspire each other through that. So I always encourage people to share that. And, you know, we've done some work with, I've done some work with drumming in session around, uh, you know, calming the, um, there's a lot of neurons in our, in our hands and just tapping um, can be very calming. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, research on EMDR from an EMDR perspective mm-hmm. on tapping and how that is affecting the brain and um, helping us process both sides uh, bilaterally. So, uh, you know, I, I have a couple drums in my office and I have a guitar and, you know, a rain stick and just some different things that people can use to, if they feel like expressing themselves. It's not mandatory, of course, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's an option. And I like, I like offering those kinds of options. And I do have people calling like, oh, my daughter like, is, like loves that you're a musician and artist and that makes her, you know, and then, you know, we inspire each other. I, I learn so much from all my patients and they inspire me greatly and I know that it goes back and forth yeah cool tell us about your book ah the book why did you write it and what is it about um well I wrote the book for myself originally I struggled with infertility for a really long time and still do I went through four IVFs and nothing was happening all kinds of crazy things happened with medically and came to find out that there was some chromosomal issues with my eggs, issues with sperm. I mean, it was like just roadblocks all over the place. So I started it with a, I I just did like a 10 day uh, online class. And my mom had mentioned, hey, you know, you could make this into a book. And I'm like, hmm. Good thinking. My mom has some good ideas. <laughs> That's um, nice. And so I started to just tease it out a little bit more. And mm-hmm. it was great practice for me um, because each chapter is about being in a certain energy to move toward acceptance. Um, acceptance, you know, one of the reasons I did not call this book Let It Be is because letting it be is a process. It, I, I feel like acceptance is something, if I think I've gotten there, then something's bound to throw me um, because this is life and life throws you. So I entitled the book, Letting It Be, to promote the idea of a process. And it's a continued process for me. I still struggle at times, but I feel like I have tools to to be able to practice. So the book, I uh, divided it up into three aspects. The first aspect is letting the difficult be. And it's almost, I think of it as uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. you can't like start working on self-awareness if you don't have a roof over your head. No, it's pretty Um, true. Right. And so, you know, if I have a lot of difficult things going on in my life, it's going to be really hard for me to try to learn how to accept myself. Um, So it's letting the difficult be, letting yourself be, and letting oneness be. And so I, I, I love the aspects of, you know, like if, in terms of letting the difficult be. And, and there's so many difficult aspects, you know, whether it be loss, 
um, with all the grief involved in that and so many emotions, uh, pain, a lot of people with chronic pain and struggling to just deal with a day, yeah. um, you know, or just, just random difficulties, you know, the politics, gosh, you know, I mean, and news feeds and, you know, all the connection pieces we were just talking about is really affecting people. Um, so letting the difficult be is, you know, we have to first be wherever we are to learn how to be where we are and just allow. And, and you know, that that movement between resistance or judgment and allowing, oof, I mean, again, it's a pendulum swing. And so I really, and, and of course, I'm going to move into resistance at times. Uh, we right. all do. So being able to allow a little bit more, and that's the first chapter. Certainly, I mean, the chapters run deep. You know, we could be with wherever we are, um, be with our observer, um, just observing a little bit more with that curiosity. Okay. Um, be with our breath, be with our body, um, and be with love. This is the first, I, this, these are the tenets that I feel, you know, are very helpful to letting the difficult be. Um, letting oneself be, you're getting into being with your emotions, being with your thoughts, um, being with mindful choices, those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, m- m- compassion with self. I mean, we have a really hard time giving ourselves compassion. I find so many people are so easily, they so easily give it to it's others. It's so hard. And that's why I love that we're having you here this time of the year, because I think it's great when people make resolutions and mm. want to change things. But the bottom line is that you still are who you are. Yep. And it puts so much sometimes unnecessary pressure on yourself to think that you're going to completely reinvent yourself or that you even need to do that. So exactly. I yeah. think this is huge. It really is. And uh, I think that it will really, it really, the more that we each work on this, I mean, it's, it may be small ripples, but, you know, but small ripples move out into the world into big waves. And we're all, the more that we all work on ourselves, the more that we're going to be able to change the world. I mean, because what does be the change really mean? Right. And I think a lot of people, you know, throw that around, uh, you know, being the change. And that's why I love just, there's just that theme of being in, you know, every chapter and the whole book. And, and, you know, we're not human doings. (laughs) We're human beings. You know, that acceptance of just who we are, and the uniqueness of that and the similarities. Yeah. Um, it just, it feels good to be. It really does. <laughs> so, um, and, and I love the letting oneness be. I'm very spiritual. So I incorporate a lot of spirituality into the book. And certainly from a broad perspective, I have a lot of Christians that read the, have read the book or people who are, you know, Buddhist or just where, wherever you're coming from, it, it will work for you. Hopefully. And, you know, if you have issues with it, please talk to me. But um, I, I wanted to write it so that it was all inclusive because we're all, there are many paths to God. And so the letting oneness be, it really makes me feel and reminds me of, you know, the connection that I have to something greater and how important that really is. And truly, yeah. And you're teaching a class on this book. Tell yes. us about that. What's oh, that like? I, I'm loving that I have my first class. I'm actually doing it in two places. I am teaching at the center. 
that's the third Thursday of every month from six to eight. Um, and people can come, you know, to one class or all classes. That's that's not a problem. Uh, if you miss one class, that you're not gonna, you know, miss any miss out. Um, I will catch you up if needed. Um, and then I'm also teaching it at Anthem Ranch in Broomfield. It's a 55 and older community, um, oh, wow. and it's a gated community. So if you, you can only take that class there if you're within that oh, community. Okay. Got it. But I am really very excited about being able to bring this deeper work to others and to myself because I'm continuing to practice. No, I'm you know, sure you're getting level. something from it every time. Oh you gosh, teach. yeah, and I love it. I just I, I really enjoyed um, te- I'm teaching it this this Thursday at Anthem and I the first class was last Thursday at the center and just some beautiful beautiful um, sharing and interconnectivity between us all so I love that so do people read the chapter that you're focusing on and then come they can and uh, I don't or? I'm not pushing the book like oh you have to buy my book no right because, it's not a study yeah. guide for the no, class um, you can take the class if, if you'd like to buy the book it's a nice uh, you know adjunct I would find it's a six-month course so the first two months will focus on the first part of the book, so letting the difficult be. So if there's something that you're really working on letting be, um, it's difficult in your life, then you know those first two classes are, are useful. And I'll run it again. So you know if you miss the first class, you can grab it later. Um, and then the second two months are going to focus on letting ourselves be and a little bit more on some of the cognitive behavioral pieces. It's all intertwined, but looking at, you know, being with our thoughts, being with our emotions, being with mindful choices, being more compassionate, and some techniques to help with that. So So oftentimes on the show, because it is women in a day, we talk about kind of what a day in the life of someone is like. Mm -hmm. But knowing that this is the work that you do and you're so passionate about, what are some things that you would say the average person could weave into their day to bring on more mindfulness? Because it's great to be able to have a session with you, but like you said, life moves on and keeps going. Yep. So One how, hour a week isn't going to... Right. So what are some things that you would recommend to people who feel like they could use more mindfulness? Well, um, and I can share a little bit about my, what my day looks like. I do a lot of self-care in the mornings. I usually see people in the afternoon around one or two until seven or eight because I generally you know people get off work and I you know there are people there are therapists who work just during the day but that Mm -hmm. just really whittles down your clientele so when I wake up in the morning I meditate Um, I have a little meditation area that is for myself and I can sit and sometimes I'll sit there and sometimes I meditate with my husband and we'll just do either a guided meditation. Deepak Chopra has some wonderful free meditations that he does, the 21-day thing that he often does every couple months. The Calm app is a fantastic way to, you know, find, you know, it's free. You can pay extra for some more deeper meditations okay. if you'd like, but it's a great start. Um, and then being able to maybe even practice with a little bit of silence. Uh, maybe you don't need a guided thing. Maybe you just do like two minutes of focusing 
a focusing technique. You could focus in, you could focus out, even if there's a dog barking. I, I, my dog barks a lot, so um, <laughs> being able to... It's good for training. It's yeah. good for training, because otherwise I just get frustrated and resistant, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm silent, the dog's barking. Okay, now I'm focusing on the dog barking. Ruff, 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 you know, or whatever. And then now I'm focusing on my breath. Uh, now I'm focusing. I, I mean, I, you can change your focus at any time. You could have your breath be, you know, the focus, your hands, the birds singing. And, and what it does is that particular kind of meditation is helps with concentration. I think, you know, there's a lot of bright, shiny things around and we are easily distracted yes. um, in this uh, really fast-paced society. And so it really can help to just focus in a little bit. And it's like, oh, you know, I mean, I've, I've sat for five minutes and I'm at the grocery store doing, you know, doing to-do lists and all these other things are happening. And people are like, well, I failed. If I, if I have that kind of experience, I'm, you know, not a good meditator. And, and that is just simply not true. There's no good or bad. This whole black and white thinking is a, a cognitive error that we really need to pay attention to. There's a, always a middle ground. There's gray area in everything. And the reality is that if you sit down to try, you've succeeded. Um, and so, you know, I just encourage people to try. Okay. Um, and, and then, um, you know, I usually do some sort of movement. I think movement is really important. I walk every day, um, at least 30 minutes, sometimes an hour, and doing some stretches, whether it be, you know, intense yoga or just kind of light yoga. Mm -hmm. um, and that feels good to me. And being able to just kind of move around because I do a lot of sitting, you know, for, you know, I usually do patient time for about five hours and being able to sit with them and in between clients, like kind of get up and move around a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, kind of shake it out and do a little, just a couple little stretches, a couple deep breaths, and then to my next person. And I know that, you know, a lot of us are sitting at desks doing, you know, IT stuff or this or that. And I mean, hours can go by without even a break. And some people are not even eating lunch, um, which is just, uh, the body is just screaming. It's just so much stagnant energy. It's just, it is, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so being able to do that. And then when I return home, you know, try to, try to making, and I'm, I spend a lot of time on healthy eating because I think healthy eating is so important as well. It, it all affects the brain. I mean, if I eat, you know, a quick fast food lunch, I feel like crap and, you know, and I can tell, I, I mean, I can almost feel it like impacting my thoughts in a more right. negative way. And so I try to eat as, as healthy as I can. And, and again, you know, practicing what I preach. I can't expect somebody to, to do something that I'm not doing that mm -hmm. is just not going to work. I usually try to do a little bit of um, calming meditation or a little art something before I go to bed. So, What a nice life. <laughs> you really take care of yourself. And I like that you've dedicated so much time and energy towards self-care. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of people would think that's selfish. I mean, the fact that I don't have children allows for that a lot more. And I'm, I realize that, I, you know, in talking with a lot of moms, it's not easy to do all that, you know. And, and, um, and so what I encourage people is to take little moments because little moments add up. And that's why I like what you're saying. I think that self-care is kind of the next term to get really whitewash. Um mm -hmm 
you know, with what that means, that it's like this blanket thing of yoga retreats and supplements and whatever. And some people Mm -hmm. either don't have time for that or don't have access to that. So what do you say to someone who is struggling with, you know, poverty or, Mm -hmm. you know, being a single parent or whatever their, or mental health issues? And I think that's what we've heard. Um, We talked to a guest very early on, Katie Fasilius and her daughter Maggie, and she talked about parenting with mental illness and with depression. And that's what it really came back to is like those little moments matter. The time that she takes for herself to go for a run, Mm. you know, just Mm -hmm. kind of building it in like that's my non-negotiable. I can be flexible in other ways, but getting up a little bit early or having time to myself at night, those are the things that are self-care to me and the free. And I think that it's good for all of us to have things like that we can turn to. I completely agree. And I, I, this is one of the reasons I wrote the book in, in some ways, too. I mean, I wrote it for myself, but I wanted to help others. And everything that you practice in here and being is free. Um, and those little moments like being with your breath. I mean, we don't realize that we're just ch- chest breathing, essentially. Yeah. So mm-hmm. being able to use our belly to breathe can that right there shift a perspective, you know, um, release a little bit of stress and move into a little bit of allowance of whatever the moment is at the time um, or what's to come and understanding that you have the resilience to, to be able to do that uh, because it's I mean as a single mother as some you know somebody with mental illness that is parenting uh, it, it's it, you know for a spouse it's very you know, incredibly difficult um, and so you know I encourage I do a lot of relationship Uh, counseling as well and I encourage couples to try to help each other you know remind each other you know in loving ways (laughs) right that's the that's the trick is that in bold (laughs) yes yes for sure um that you know of of how we can help each other remind you know it's like hey just we can just breathe okay yeah, that's right. Oh, Maybe we don't have to hash yeah. this out right now. Yeah, like we can take a break and um, and it's okay. Or, you know, if the, your child is screaming, you know, like to be able to just, you know, yeah, I mean, I obviously not walk out, you know, but walk away to right. a space where they're safe, you're safe, you're not reacting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I like about that chapter about mindful choices, um, that being with mindful choices around you know, I mean, we don't have to react. We just get into a habit of reacting. Right. And the more that we realize that we have a choice to respond, it's so empowering. And it really what I want to do is empower people um, to be able to make their own choices for themselves. We do have free will. Um, and that's not changing. Yeah. So. It sounds like a lot of your work is also, I don't know if it's inspired by or influenced by, like, conscious living. Do you... Do you do any of that? Um, conscious living? Yeah, I know a little bit. Is that, Are you talking about that organization, Conscious Living? Yeah, there's the organization. There's different training. There's like the Gottman Institute. Right, yes. And yeah, I've done some Gottman training. Yeah. Um, it sounds yeah, like I mean, a lot of what you're saying is has a lot of that influence. Yeah, I've definitely been influenced by all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, like I've said, I've been stu- studying mindfulness and just trying to just take in as much as I can of all different... Um, whether it be Buddhist teachers or um, teachers within psychology, scientists. Um, I just recently went to um, the Science and Non-Duality Conference in San Jose, California. Oh, is that? Wow. Amazing. Sand is, uh, and, and I, I think it's going to be bigger and bigger every year. I, I don't want to miss it. I feel like it's like I found my family. What is it? 
Well, Never um, heard of it. it's basically um, spiritual spirituality meets science. And, you know, Deepak Chopra was there speaking. Um, I got to give him one of my books. And cool. Oh, that's him. awesome. Oh, he's so great. Daniel Siegel, who is a big... Um, uh, scientist within the field of psychology has done a lot of work around mindfulness and trying to understand how it works within the brain and has created um, various um, well he's done a lot of scientific work with you know MRI research and and that kind of thing there's also a neurobiologist or, or neuropsychologist I think in um, San Francisco Rick Hansen who I just love um, he wrote the Buddha, the Buddha's brain, um, which Ooh, he really goes into a lot of the neurochemistry of the brain um, for you know different Buddhist monks and what they're you know. And obviously, they're not living in America, so it's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but I just find it fascinating. Um, so yes, I, I mean, I just I try to take in. It, there's so much I think source amnesia after a while because like, wait, where did I get that from again? Um, and you try to try to keep it all. But there's just so many beautiful teachers out there that are practicing this themselves and teaching. And I'm sure it's great to see it growing and give you know you mm-hmm. have more resources than a place that you can go and meet people who are doing similar work. I'm yeah. sure that's huge. It's huge, and like I said, it's ripple effects. I, I feel like it's we need this we have to have this kind of compassion and love you know in the work that we're doing with ourselves and with each other um, in order to heal the world and the Dalai Lama said that Western women will heal the heal the world so um, we're doing it one one day at a time here and you guys are doing it too so. thank you <laughs> <laughs> well we always wrap up by asking our guest what is the best advice you've ever gotten Hmm. Well, the first thing that's coming up is uh, my therapist in my 20s told me that emotion is about movement and that if we don't feel our emotions, we don't move them. Hmm. And I found that to be, I mean, it's so, it seems so obvious you know, emotion. Oh, I never realized that had to do with movement. Right. Um, and so um, I think that was the best advice because it was like huge light bulb right right over my yeah. head when that yeah. when he said that. That's and really cool. Ever since then, you know, whether it be physical movement, feeling movement, um, there's energy that's moving within our bodies and our minds all the time, and having that keep moving and not in an external way, but in a internal way. And noticing that movement has been um, very, very helpful for me. And I love that you heard that in your 20s because it sounds like that's really kind of shaped a lot of what you're doing in the work Yeah, now. Yeah, it has. Mm. Yeah, I'm thankful, wow. thankful for him, for my therapist back then. <laughs> yeah, that's great. All right. Well, thank you so much, yeah. Dr. Lisa. Uh, if you yeah, all are interested you. in um, learning more about her work, she has two different websites. One is interpersonalhealing.com and the other is drlisatempleton.com. And of course, you can always find her book, Letting It Be, Mindful Lessons Towards Acceptance on amazon.com. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Lisa. And thank you for listening. You can always learn more about us at our website, womeninadaypodcast.com, or find us on our Instagram, Women in a Day Podcast. And make sure you tune in next time. We'll be speaking with Sandra, and Sandra is going to talk to us about widowhood, parenting, mental health, 
and surviving the death of a loved one by suicide. So we're really excited to have Sandra here. We think that's going to be a great episode. And thank you so much to our editor, Tony Tarbox.